0: Is uh what, Family and Friends Day? Yes. Family and Friends Day. This is awesome. And what I want to do for a few minutes this morning, I want to take you back to the very first Family and Friends Day. You got a Bible? No. I want you to go with me, please, to Mark chapter 5. Everybody take a Bible and go to Matthew Mark. There's the book. And this morning we go to Mark chapter 5. It's the story of the demon-possessed man. He's filled with evil spirits. Jesus comes along and He heals this guy. And I love what Jesus says to him in verse 19. Mark 5, look to verse 19. Jesus says to this demon-possessed man who's no longer demon-possessed, Go home to your friends. Maybe your Bible says go to your family. And tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. Wow. Go home to your friends and tell them great things. Tell them that the Lord hath been done for you and how He has had compassion. On you, wow! How do you feel about witnessing? How do you feel about personal testimonies? Suppose I got up here and I said, "I tell you what, let's do. Let's not. Uh, let's not have a sermon this morning. Let's just go around the room and share a few personal testimonies." We'll start up here at the front, sir. Again, what's your name? Bread. why don't we start with bread? Bread, why don't you just uh, stand up and uh, give us a little personal testimony. Tell us what the Lord has done for you. You say, Keith, witnessing personal testimonies. We don't do that in the church, not in the church of Christ. And yet that's exactly what Jesus tells this guy to do in Mark chapter 5. Listen to it again. He says to this demon-possessed man who's no longer demon-possessed, go home to your Again, maybe your Bible says, go to your family. This is what? Friends and family day? Go to your friends, go to your family and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. You know what Jesus is saying? Go tell what the Lord has done for you. Go tell what the Lord has done for you. Couldn't we say that together? Would that be okay? Let's try it together. Go tell what the Lord has done for you. One more time. Go tell what the Lord has done for you. And that's what evangelism is all about. That's what witnessing is all about. That's what church growth is all about. That's what family and friends day is all about. You say, Keith, what does it mean to give a personal testimony, to witness? (laughs) i tell you what it means. It means that you go tell what the Lord has done for you. I want you to go back in your mind about 2,000 years. Go back to the story in Mark chapter 5. And I want you to see Jesus and the disciples as they get into that old wooden boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. You ever been to the Sea of Galilee? I've been there twice. I've taken uh, two boat rides across the Sea of Galilee. God willing, in about three months, right after Christmas of this year, I'm going back to the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful body of water there in the land of Israel. It's about 13 miles long, about 8 miles across. And I want you to see Jesus and the disciples as they get into that old wooden boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. They come to the country of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. And as they step out of the boat, a man from the tombs comes out to meet them. So we know that they landed at a place close to the cemetery. I want you to see Peter, Andrew, James, and John as they step out of this old wooden boat and they look across this graveyard and somebody says, "Uh, A graveyard? (laughs) A cemetery? A cemetery? What are we doing here? Well, I don't know. This is where Jesus told us to dock the boat. And as they get out of the boat, a man from the tombs comes out to meet them. We don't know his name. Well, he says his name is Legion. That's really the evil spirit speaking through this guy. But I like to call the guy of Mark chapter 5, the demon-possessed man, Crazy Harry. Now, if your name is Harry... I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking about the demon-possessed man of Mark chapter 5. I like to call him Crazy Harry. Oh, Crazy Harry comes out to meet the disciples. I want you to see this guy. There are sores all over his body. You know why the sores are there? He had cut himself night and day with rocks, with stones. Can you imagine taking a rock and slicing your body? Maybe blood and infection oozing out those sores. The irons, the chains on his arms and his legs have been broken. Perhaps, who knows, perhaps bits of chains still connected to his body. Mart says that nobody could bind him. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think they wanted to bind this guy? Think about it. Every time they had a funeral out at the cemetery, somebody would have to go out there and bind it. They didn't want old crazy Harry, the demon-possessed man, jumping over Grandma's casket, interrupting the funeral, so somebody would have to go out there and bind him, tie him up. And, and Mark says that nobody could bind him. Luke, the Gospel writer Luke, Luke chapter 8, has a very interesting fact. You know what Luke says about this guy? He wore no clothes. He wore no clothes. Now, you can call it streaking if you want to, okay? Sir, what are you doing? I'm streaking. Call it what you want to call it. The man is in his birthday suit. What do you think his hair looked like? Do you think he looked like he would just been to great clips or sports clips? What do you think this guy smelled like? The demon-possessed guy. Old Spice? Stetson? Ralph Lauren? Old something. Old something, huh? <laughs> what do you think this guy sounded like? You know, I've never heard a demon-possessed man, have you? Some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I've heard you preach. Well, I've never heard a demon-possessed man, but I can just imagine the screeching and the groaning and the weeping and the wailing coming forth from this man's lips. And Jesus just stands there. The man runs out, and with a loud voice he says, What do you want from me, most high God? What's your name, sir? My name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus does the incredible. He takes those many evil spirits and he throws them into a group of pigs. Do you remember how many pigs there were? About 2,000. About 2,000 pigs feeding on a hill and down the hill the wind and into the sea. I would have loved to have been there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen this scene? What do you think the pig farmers were thinking? The swine herders. The people out watching The pigs. By the way, folks, you don't get the most intelligent people in the world to watch the hogs. Now, if you're a pig farmer, <laughs> I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just saying these guys that were out watching the pigs, they did not own the pigs. They were just the common folks. Oh, Henry and George. And all day long, Henry and George would stand there and watch the pigs. And one moment, everything was fine. and I mean, the pigs were rooting. And wallowing and feeding and whatever else pigs do. And the next moment, every single pig gets his own private demon just like that. And ten seconds later, there's a stampede down the hill into the sea. And O'Henry and George, the pig farmers, are flipping a shekel to see who's going to go tell the boss. I would have loved to have heard that conversation, wouldn't you? Sir, we don't know what happened. We were just out there watching those animals, and one thing, everything, one moment, everything was fine, and the next moment, <laughs> down the hill, that went into the scene. Yes, sir, they're dead, all of them. Oh, Henry tried to catch one by the tail, but he got away. And the Bible says the whole city goes out to see them. I don't blame them, do you? They didn't have TV, they didn't have computers. Hey, Martha, Martha, grab the kids. 2,000 pigs are in the lake. Let's go. And when they get out there, not only do they see the pig bodies floating in the lake, they see old Crazy Harry. And guess what? Crazy Harry is no longer crazy. He's sitting there. He's wearing clothes. He's in his right mind. And they look at the pigs in the lake and they think, Whoa! Look what this guy, Jesus, did to them. And they look at old Crazy Harry, who's no longer crazy, and he's sitting there and he's wearing clothes, and they think, Whoa! Look what this guy, Jesus, did to him. And the Bible says they're frightened. They're scared and they begged Jesus to leave the country. Well, as Jesus and the disciples are getting into that boat, getting ready to leave, you know what happens? Oh, crazy Harry gets in that boat and he's saying, hey, I want to go with you. You know, I can just see Matthew, the tax collector, the numbers guy, pulling out his little iPad and saying, let's say now, one Jesus, twelve disciples. Huh. That's 13. Wait a minute, boys, we have a problem. You know the problem? There are too many people in the boat. Oh, Crazy Harry had gotten in that boat and he's saying, Lord, let me go with you. I'll sell your books. I'll sell your CDs. I'll set up the tents. I want to go with you, sir. And Jesus says, sir, you cannot go with me. I want you to go home to your friends. Go to your family. You talk about friends and family today? Go to your friends. Go to your family and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. Go tell what the Lord has done for you. And you know something? That's exactly what He does. Look down at verse 20. Mark 5, verse 20. Scripture says, And he departed, and he began to preach or publish in Decapolis. Folks, that is not one city. That is ten cities. Decapolis. He departed and he began to preach in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all people did marvel. And ladies and gentlemen, do you see what I see? What in the world is he doing? Well, he's out teaching. He's out preaching. He's out saying, hey, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Now, you talk about the most unlikely candidate for a preacher. When Peter, Andrew, James, and John set across the Sea of Galilee and they come to this cemetery and they see this man coming out in his birthday suit, sores all over his body, hair flowing in the wind. They don't go up to this guy and say, Hey, sir, you ought to become a preacher. You've got what it takes. They don't go up to old crazy Harry and say, You know, sir, you ought to go down here to Montgomery Alabama, you ought to enroll in Faulkner University. You ought to become a gospel preacher. You've got the talent. They don't encourage this guy to become a preacher. But that's exactly what he became. He became a preacher. He became a teacher. He became a soul winner. He's out saying, hey, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Question. What has the Lord done for you? I'm asking you. What has the Lord done for you? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. James 1 God has given us richly all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 So, my brother, my sister, I'm asking, what has the Lord done for you? And then I would follow that question by asking this question <coughs> Have you told anybody? On a Tuesday night? a Thursday afternoon, maybe a Saturday morning. Have you told anybody what the Lord has done for you? Well, before we sing the invitation song, what I want to do on this family and friends day, go home to your friends, go to your family and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. On this family and friends day, may I stand up here and give you a personal testimonies? May, may I stand up here and just kind of tell you what the Lord has done for me? And who knows, folks, maybe my story is your story. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. You're in the book of Mark. I want you to leave Mark and go with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. We studied Ephesians in Bible class this morning. It comes in the middle part of God's New Testament, right after the book of Galatians, is the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, and we're going back to the passage that we looked at in Bible class, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul said in verse 4, look to verse 4, there is one body, we talked about that, there's one church, there's one body and one spirit, the Holy Spirit. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. May I tell you what the Lord has done for me? Let me just stand up here and give you a little personal testimony, okay? And tell you what the Lord has done for me. In the first place, He's given me a Father. Paul says there's one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and in you all. If you're a baptized believer, you have a Father. You have a good Father. How many Christians do we have in this audience? Christians, be proud of it. Look around, folks. I've got some good news for you. We call this a gospel meeting, a good news meeting. Here's the good news. You have a good father. If you raised your hand, I'm a Christian. You have a good father. You say, Keith, a good father? My, my father abused me when I was a kid. I'm not talking about your Father. You say, a good father, my father ran off with another woman, left mom to struggle with us children. I'm not talking about your father. I'm talking about your father. You have a good father. And may I tell you how good your father is. When this thought occurred to me many, many years ago, it literally changed my life. I went from a burdened Christian to a blessed Christian. I went from a guilt-ridden Christian to an at-peace kind of Christian. It's a very simple thought, and it literally changed my life. And the thought that changed my life is simply this. My father, your father, our father is so good. He wants us to go to heaven even more than we want ourselves to go to heaven. Let let me say it like this. Your Father is so good, He wants you to be saved even more than you want yourself to be saved. Question. You want to be saved? You want to go to heaven? You guys just missed a wonderful time to say amen. So I'm going to give you another shot. You want to go to heaven? Amen. Amen. You say, go to heaven more than life. Sure, I want to go to heaven. And see, that's a great desire. But let me tell you something, folks. No matter how strong your desire is to go to heaven, no matter how fired up you become, you can attend every church service there is to attend, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You can read and study your Bible every day. You can get down on your knees and pray 18 times a day. You can get out here knock on doors and set up Bible studies and talk to people about Jesus and about going to heaven. But I'm telling you, no matter how fired up you become, no matter how strong your desire is to go to heaven, there's a God in heaven who loves you. He's crazy about you. And He wants you to be saved even more than you want yourself to be saved. And that's the goodness of God. And that's gospel good news preaching. The goodness of God. Let me ask the daddies of this audience. Daddies, do you want your own children to go to heaven? I have three kiddos. I have Pete, my special son, and I have two daughters. Two daughters. Three children. I have five grandchildren. You think I, as a father, you think I want my own kids to be saved, to go to heaven? More than more than life. More than life. Sure, I want my kids to go to heaven. And see, if I want that for my children, if I want that for my kids, don't you know that the Heavenly Father wants that for His kids? See, God is not against you, He's for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Romans 8 and verse 31, you say, Keith, what has Jesus done for you? I tell you what the Lord has done for me. Number one, He's given me a father. I can close my eyes, bow my head, and I can honestly, truthfully say, Father in heaven. May I tell you something else the Lord has done for me? You in Ephesians 4? Flip back to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And notice what Paul says in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15. Look to verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just pause right here to ask you: You ever get down on your knees to pray? When was the last time you got down on your knees to pray? Some time ago, I was preaching that in Texas. I don't know why this occurred to me in Texas, but it did. When I was preaching in Texas, I thought about the Day of Judgment. What's going to happen on the Day of Judgment? Well, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And I thought, man, I don't want to wait till the Day of Judgment to get into practice. See, I don't want to wait till Judgment Day to get into practice. And I made up my mind when I was preaching in Texas from this day forward, at least once every day, I'm going to get down on my knees to pray. You ever get down on your knees to pray? Some of you are sitting there thinking, Keith, the problem is not getting down, the problem is getting up. Hey, wait till you get to be 62 years old. I know about that problem, okay? But Paul said... It just seems to me... I'm not saying, folks, every time we pray we have to get down on our knees. But there is something special about a man that would bow his body in conjunction with his heart. And Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. Verse 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You say, Keith, what has the Lord done for you? i tell you what the Lord has done for me. He's given me not only a father... He's given me a family. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, when I say family, I'm not talking about my wife that I've been married to for 42 years. And I'm not talking about my three kids or my five grandbabies. I'm not talking about my family. I'm talking about my family, my spiritual family. Could I bear my soul with you, folks? Let me bear my soul with you. This morning, I stand before the greatest people in the world. Some sleepy people. I can see your yawns. I can see when your eyes close. But this morning, I stand before... The greatest people in the world, you're my family. I, I'll just be playing with you. In my judgment, the greatest people in the world are members of the family of God. The i will say it like this: the greatest people in the world are members of churches of Christ. Romans sixteen sixteen, the churches of Christ salute you. And this morning, I want to salute the churches of Christ. See, God is our Father. Jesus is our brother. And the blessed Holy Spirit is our guide. The devil is no relation. We are new creations. We're members of the family of the sky. And everywhere I go, I go to California to preach. I go to the Carolinas to preach. Everywhere I go, I have brothers and sisters who love me, who encourage me, who are praying for me. The greatest people in the world are members of the family of God. I tell you what the Lord has done for me. He's not only given me a father. He's given me brothers and sisters all across the world. Who loved me just as I am. That's what the Lord has done for me. May I tell you something else the Lord has done for me? you in Ephesians chapter 3. Flip back to chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And don't miss verse 7. Verse 7. He's talking about Jesus. And he says in verse 7, In whom? That is in Jesus. We have redemption. What does that mean? We've been bought with a price? The price is right. What is the price? He tells us, verse 7, His blood. That's the price. What are you talking about, Paul? He says, let me tell you what I'm talking about. The forgiveness of sins. You say, Keith, what has the Lord done for you? Well, He's given me a father. He's given me a spiritual family, brothers and sisters that love me. He's also given me forgiveness. In Jesus, we have redemption. We've been bought with a price. The price is His blood. What are you talking about? The forgiveness of sins. Now... Let me show you literally what forgiveness means, okay? Everybody watch. We'll do it with the uh, communion set. Forgiveness, here it is. Pete, would you like for me to do it again? Let's wake up some of these people, okay? Forgiveness, here it is. Watch it, folks. Forgiveness. It's a letting go. It's a release. Think about it. If you forgive somebody, what do you do? You turn it loose, right? You drop it. You just turn it loose. And God, through the blood of His Son, has taken my sins and let go. The forgiveness of sins. And I would say to you, if you're not a Christian, we have some people in this audience who who are not Christians, and I would say to you exactly what the Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 2. You need to change, you need to repent. Repent and be baptized. We have some people in the Sardis that need to be baptized. You know you need to be baptized. Paul said repent and be baptized. too." Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Here's the reason. For the letting go for the forgiveness of sins. You say, Brother Keith, you're not talking to me. Oh, I'm not talking to you? Oh, no. I've been baptized. Oh, you've been baptized? You say, yes, sir. I'm a Christian. I raised my hand a few minutes ago. I'm glad you've been baptized. But I would say to you, if, you're, if you are a Christian... What John said in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? To forgive us. To let go. Let me ask the Christians of this audience. Think about it. When was the last time you confessed your sins to anybody? When was the last time you walked down a church aisle and said, here's what I'm struggling with. Pray for me. Been a long time for some of us, hasn't it? You've been a Christian how long? Five years? Ten years? Fifteen years? You say, man, Keith, I was baptized back in the 1950s. I've been a Christian for 60 or 70 years. Oh, you've been a Christian for 60 or 70 years? That's wonderful. In 60 or 70 years, have you ever walked a church aisle and said, pray for me, I'm struggling. Here's something that I'm struggling with. I, I want to confess, I want to be open, I want to be honest. See, John said, if we confess our sins, He's open and, and, and just to, to forgive us, to let go. Keith, what has the Lord done for you? i tell you what the Lord has done for me. Go tell your friends and your family what the Lord has done. i tell you what the Lord has done for me. Number one, He's given me a father. Number two, He's given me a family. Number three, He's given me forgiveness. And I don't know, maybe... Maybe the most important one is the last one. He's given me a future. A future. You're in Ephesians chapter 1. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to chapter 2. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, he's talking about grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. God has given us what we need instead of what we deserve. And in the context of grace, I love what Paul says... In verse 7. Don't miss verse 7. He's talking about grace, and he says that in the ages to come. Brothers and sisters, that is not the past, that's not the present, that's the future that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I I tell you, you can take away my car, you can take away my clothes, you can take away my house, you can take away my wife and even my life, but you can't take away my future. You can't. You can't take away my future. It is secured in heaven by God. I love the story. It's an old story. But there's power in the illustration. I love the story about the guy that wanted to be buried with a fork in his right hand. The guy that I'm talking about was terminally ill. Knew he was going to die. Had just a few weeks to live. So he called his preacher. He wanted to talk to the funeral. His own funeral. So the preacher came by. Sat down. They visited for a few minutes. And this sick guy told the preacher about the songs he wanted sung and the scriptures he wanted read, the comments he wanted made. After about 20 minutes, the preacher got up to leave. And the, the guy said, But, sir, to the preacher, sir, there's one other thing. And the preacher said, Sure, tell me, what, it, what is it? And this terminally ill guy said, uh, Preacher, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. A fork? The preacher asked. He said, yeah. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And let me tell you why. He said, preacher, in all the years of attending church, all the church dinners and functions and socials and luncheons, after the delicious meal was served, somebody would usually come by and say, uh, uh, Fred, hey, Freddie, keep your fork. And Freddy smiled and said, Oh, preacher, that was a sign to me that something better was coming. The dessert was coming. And Freddie said, Oh, preacher, I love the dessert. The strawberry shortcake. The deep dish apple pie. Apple pie and ice cream. Oh, I love the dessert. And Freddie said, Preacher, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And when people come to my funeral, my casket, and they look into the casket and they see me with a fork, and they start asking questions like, A fork? <laughs> What's old Freddie doing with a fork? Freddie smiled and said, Preacher... I want you to get up at my funeral and tell them there's something better that's coming. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, there's something better that's coming. See, I like like Hillsboro. I I like your community. But I'm telling you, Hillsboro is not home. I grew up over here in Huntsville, about 50 miles away. And I like Huntsville. My mother and and daughter and son-in-law and their kids still live there. And I like Huntsville. But I'm telling you, Huntsville is not home. I've lived in Hendersonville, Tennessee, the home of Johnny Cash for the last 25 plus years. I love Hendersonville. But I'm telling you, Hendersonville is not home. Hendersonville is not home. And Huntsville is not home. And Hillsboro is not home. And Alabama is not home. And Tennessee is not home. Our home... Is in heaven. And because of the grace and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's given me a future. You say, Keith, what has the Lord done for you? i tell you what the Lord has done for me. He's given me a father. He's given me a family. He's given me forgiveness. And He's given me a future. And you've listened well. You've listened well. But I have something on my heart. I've got to bear my soul. I have four questions for you. And when I ask these four, I'm not asking the person sitting behind you or beside you or in front of you. I'm asking you. Just me and you in a little Bible study. I have four questions and then we're going to sing the invitation song. Here's question number one. Just you and me. I'm asking you. Do you have a father? Do you have a father? I'm not asking is your daddy still living. I'm asking do you have a... Father. Can you honestly close your eyes and bow your head and say, Father in heaven, is God your Father? Are you His child? Again, we're all the children of God by faith. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians three twenty six and 27. Have you been baptized into Christ? Have you put on Christ? Is God your Father? That's question number one. Here's question number two. you have a family? I'm not asking, are you married? Tell me about your children. Tell me about your grandchildren. I'm not asking about your family. I'm asking about your family. Your spiritual family. Can you point to a group of people and say, boy, they're my family. They love me and I love them. They encourage me. That's where I belong. That's my home. That's my church home. Do you have a church family? Are you a part of the Family of God. Here's question number three. It's a very important question. I'm asking you, do you have forgiveness? Do you feel forgiven? Has God, through the blood of His Son, Jesus, taken your sins and let go? And I don't know, maybe maybe the most important question is the very last question. You have a future. Is heaven really your home? I was studying the Bible with a group of people some time ago teaching a Bible class. Had about 85 students in this Bible class, most of whom members of Churches of Christ. And I asked the closing question like this. I said, if you were to die right now or if Jesus were to come, would you go to A, heaven? B, hell? C, I do not know. Or D, neither heaven? Or hell? Guess what the number one answer was? C. C. It was C. I don't know. Three in that Bible class of 85 students said, uh, If Jesus were to come, if I were to die, I wouldn't go to heaven. I wouldn't go to hell. Frankly, I don't understand that answer. But three of them said neither heaven or hell. Eleven in that Bible class, most of whom members of churches of Christ said, I don't have a future. I, 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 I'm going to die in hell. I, I'm going to go to hell. 11 of them said, I'm lost. 31 said, Praise God. I'm going to heaven. I've got a future. I'm going to heaven. But 40 in that Bible class, 4 0, 40 of 85 students said, I don't know. I just don't know. Well, I want to ask you the very same question. If Jesus were to come today, And wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus came today? If Jesus were to come today, or if you were to die today, would you go to A, heaven, B, hell, C, I do not know, or D, neither heaven or hell? Let me tell you what some of you are thinking. I'm not sure. You you know, I want to go to heaven. I I, want to be saved, but I just don't know. And maybe... Maybe that's the devil that's placed those doubts in your heart. Or maybe you've lived in a way that you have a reason to doubt. And we don't want you to leave this morning with doubts. We don't want you to leave this morning discouraged. We want you to leave with hope. So do you have a future? What's going to happen this morning? Has this just been a message to listen to? Or will I change my life? It's Family and Friends Day. And you've honored us with your presence. And the very first Family and Friends Day, Jesus told this man who was filled with evil spirits, but now cleansed, go home to your family, go to your friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. What has the Lord done for you? I don't know what you've been praying for today. Let me tell you what I've been praying. I have been praying as we sing the very first verse of this invitation song. And what's the invitation song, brother? 107. Come into me. I have been praying as we sing the very first verse of this invitation song that somebody in this audience would lead the way. I don't know if I've been praying for somebody back in the back or somebody down here at the front. I don't know if I've been praying for somebody on this side or somebody on this side. I don't know if I've been praying for a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. But I have seen it in revival after revival after revival all across America. It takes one person to lead the way. It takes one person to break the ice. It takes one person to come and say, I need to become a Christian. I want to be baptized. Or maybe one person to come and say, I'm a Christian, but I just need to Get started again. I I need to be revived. I need to be prayed for. And you know something? When one responds, you know what happens? When one comes, usually there's another. And then another. And even more and more and more. So I have been praying, as we've seen the very first verse, of coming to me that somebody in this audience would lead the way. Satan will do everything that he can to stop you. Satan wants you to stand and sing as if I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, but Jesus died to call you. So, what has the Lord done for you? Are you willing to go public about it? Are you willing to be baptized into him? Are you willing to come and say, as a Christian, man, I just need to be prayed for? Who's going to lead the way? Who's going to lead the way? If one comes, I have a feeling, some others will come too. Why don't you be spiritual enough, bold enough, public enough to go public for Jesus? He died for you. What will you do for Him? We're going to find out. We're going to find out.